This podcast is produced by the ABA Journal. We bring you the latest legal news every day from around the web. Visit us online at abajournal.com. When complicated legal tasks typically reserved for law firm lawyers are broken down and assigned to in-house counsel and outside legal vendors, the law firm assigned to the matter could still be on the hook for the work done outside its walls. I'm Rachel Zahorsky, and today I'm speaking with Brant Widener, a claims manager for the Lawyers Professional Liability Business at Beasley, and solo practitioner and legal ethics professor John Steele. John, before we delve into the liability issues, can lawyers expect to permanently see more and more of their clients embrace outsourcing and insourcing as key ways to save money and boost efficiency? Well, it's permanent. Uh, hi, it's John Steele, and I'm glad to be here as part of this ABA podcast. This whole phenomenon can be called disaggregation. That is, the sophisticated clients take the entire project, break it into pieces based on functional tasks, and send to the high overhead outside law firm only the tasks that only that law firm can do. So the in-house lawyers will retain some of the tasks, very often, for example, such as searching the hard drives of the witnesses within the company and tasks like that. But they'll also send some tasks out to um, legal process outsourcers, maybe document reviewers in the United States or abroad. Or they'll send out pieces of the task, like discovery to a discovery boutique law firm. And what they'll do is they'll find the service provider with the lowest overhead who can do a good job on, on that particular task and only send your law firm the piece which your law firm really has to do. So I think lesson number one is realize that we are moving from a paradigm of attorney and client to attorney, client, and lots of related providers because the work is disaggregated. Brant, when we talk about this phenomenon becoming a permanent part of the legal landscape, what are some of the implications and particularly the, the dangers and the risks for outside counsel from a malpractice and a case management standpoint? Um, well, Rachel, th and, and thanks. Uh, John, I agree with everything you've just said. I do think this is going to be a permanent manifestation of the legal uh, realm. Um, and, and it it brings to mind a, a number of things, and it brings to, to the for a number of concerns. And as, a, as an insurer of law firms, it's something that we pay a lot of attention to. But when you do break up an engagement like this you, and split it into parts, at, at the end of the day, and the ethics guidance and case law on this dictates that it, the lawyer is responsible for this work ultimately at the end of the day, and the law firm is going to be uh, looked to by, by a judge or by, uh, by the client uh, to be the ultimate arbiter of what's going on. And so there's a risk when you break apart an engagement that somebody's going to forget what they were responsible to do. There may be dropped balls as a result of this. There's going to be confusion on, on who was supposed to do what. And, you know, the, the right as it stands right now, it appears that the lawyers are going to be the ones that are going to ultimately be responsible for making sure that, that um, things are properly supervised, et cetera. And we see a lot of claims presently arising out of scope of representation uh, uh, issues. And, and I think that we're concerned as an insurer of law firms that this type of phenomenon, the disaggregation concept, is going to uh, ultimately lead to the same types of 
scope of representation type issues that we're seeing in claims that we are dealing with today. Now, these vulnerabilities to law firms, obviously, especially being an uptick of claims, are very real. What measures can outside lawyers take to avoid these pitfalls, particularly when tasks are taken in-house and they're dealing with managing their own clients? And perhaps in talking about management of that, we can also touch upon some of the specific tasks that law firms can prepare for or expect are going to go this route of disaggregation. Um, well, and this is this is Brand again. I, I think that um, I mean, if there were a, a, a sort of a single takeaway from what we're talking about here, it, it's probably this: that law firms are going to need to keep in mind that they need, to, in, in the concept of a disaggregated representation, need to be sure that they're counseling their client on on the risks of the disaggregation. I mean, there are certainly well-known advantages to doing it doing it this way, but there are risks as well, and everybody needs to understand what those are. And documentation is really the, the word of the day. Everything needs to be documented. It needs to be clear who's doing what, and it needs to be, uh, there needs to be a clear written record going forward so that the, the client's protected and, more particularly, the firm is protected. But the, the thing that's interesting, and there's two sorts of aspects to this disaggregation concept. There's, there's the concept of outsourcing, wherein, you know, Parts of an engagement are split apart amongst various entities, effectively what John was talking about at the outset. And then the concept of insourcing is when a client keeps work internally, keeps it to, to himself. And as, as in-house departments are being built up, that's something that we're, I think we're probably going to be seeing more and more of. And there are some issues that pop up in the insourcing realm that are different from outsourcing in that, you know, as a lawyer – you are constrained somewhat to be pressing your own client for what they're doing and the type of work they're doing. And there are, you know, there, we have concerns about how that's done. And, and law firms are going to need to wrap their heads around understanding how they can interact with their own clients and making sure that all the various T's are crossed and I's are dotted in terms of making sure that the uh, scope of the representation and the engagement is clear. How would you advise an outside firm responding to this trend, responding to a client who might have been a long-term client, they had been used to handling an entire legal docket or matter from, you know, nuts and bolts, beginning to end, and now suddenly the client says, actually, we're, we're going to do it this way, and we're going to have our people who, we, you know, we've just hired and expanded this department, we're going to have them handle that. Right off the bat, what advice would you give to outside counsel to begin that conversation, to start that dialogue of this is what needs to be done from this point if this relationship is going to change in that way? Well, again, it's, it, it, this is the concept of, of making sure that everybody understand what, and understands what the rules of the game are, and, and that's the part that um, could be sensitive, but if, if you have a long-time client rep, uh, representation and a client that you've worked with on an ongoing basis, as things change and as as the legal world changes, I think we're going to see different um, aspects to this type of engagement. And so lawyers and clients are going to need to learn to talk to one another and to be frank about what the uh, ramifications of what they're doing are and what the client, in this case the client that wants to take the work inside, is going to have to understand that his lawyer may well need to ask him and, and get clarity from him as to certain fairly pointed issues so that they can make sure that everybody understands who's doing what. And John, would you like to jump in now and add a little bit? I imagine that the client relationship is much more sensitive when over, than overseeing an outside vendor. 
that may make navigating some ethical uh, steps that you need to take to make sure that everything is being done ethically a little bit more challenging. It is more sensitive, but the way I counsel my lawyer client is to demonstrate to the client and explain up front that the conversation we're about to have is also for the client's protection. We've had a couple cases where something wasn't produced in discovery, something falls apart, and the court now starts to look at, well, who was responsible? And the answer is in-house counsel was sort of partially responsible for that. And so in-house counsel can increasingly expect to feel the heat if they're retaining some of the tasks. So the conversation with the inside client, with the general counsel is, hey, what can we put in place today so that if an engineer turns up a hard drive full of emails at the last minute and your in-house department was doing the initial pulling of documents, what can we put in place today that will protect you, my valued client, when the magistrate judge is furious? You know, so what is the division of labor document? What is What are the control documents? so that we can show the court that we had a reasonable plan in place, that a mistake happened, but there was nothing um, particularly culpable or evil going on here. So I think you can sell it to the client. I, I think before you do that, though, you, I think you have to make a hard decision about some things can't be delegated. And for those things that can be delegated, whether it's to the client or another vendor, you still have to do some level of appropriate due diligence. And that's kind of an emerging standard, figuring out what is the appropriate due diligence when the work is disaggregated to all these vendors. And then finally, from the purely law firm point of view, it is possible that a particular legal representation can be so economically hollowed out, that is, so much of the work gets parceled out to other vendors, that what is left with you doesn't no longer makes economic sense. And so there's still some there's still some hard decisions that have to be made, some hard thinking, but then when you roll out to the client and you attempt to document the division of labor, let the client understand it's for their benefit if there's a snafu down the road that we're about to do this exercise. Hmm. I think that's right, John. It, it's interesting that, I mean, there, I think everybody in the legal realm nowadays understands that there, there is, you hear about sort of the new order and the new, the new world of, 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 of law, and I think that that is a probably a reasonable jumping off point to having those types of discussions with your client because things are being done differently and there need to be new and sort of different types of of uh, understandings between clients and law firms. Wonderful. I thank you both for sharing your thoughts with us today. That's all the time that we have. Do you have one or two parting words? I know it seems like more communication, um, hard documentation, and, and keeping those lines of communication open as the tasks are monitored and managed are, are the takeaways from today. Is there anything else that we missed or that, as a parting shot, our readers should know? Well, I, this is John Steele again. I would just say that you know, project management is now becoming a skill no less essential than drafting interrogatories or direct examination. Project management is the key to the disaggregated relationship. Thank you for sharing your insights, gentlemen. As always, I encourage our listeners to add their thoughts to our discussion in the comments section of this podcast on abajournal.com. This podcast was brought to you by the ABA Journal. For more podcasts on the legal issues of the day, visit us online at abajournal.com or subscribe for free 
to the ABA Journal Podcast on iTunes.